So let's pray together, and then we'll look at this text together. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, as we uh, look at this particular passage, um, help us to understand what it says to us about living blameless, upright lives, uh, having being people of integrity, um, and uh, help us to see some of the ways in which we try to we try to um, uh, uh, short circuit that, shortcut the our, our way, and and. Um, uh, Bring us back to, to that place of just walking at a pace that is in keeping with you. Um, help us to, to center our lives again upon, upon who you are, what you've done for us, and for our lives to, to honor you in, in, as we do that. Ask this in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. You know, shortcuts are, are great. Uh, when I was in university, I lived in off-campus housing. And uh, to get to the school, you had to kind of walk down the street, take a right, and then you had to double back a little bit to get to the buildings. Um, but uh, across the, the, the street from our residence, there was this empty field. And uh, there was this well-worn trail across this empty field that led directly to the campus. As humans, we have, this, we have this innate tendency to look for shortcuts, right? Uh, today, we, we call them, uh, and it's not just about going someplace, it's about all areas of life. Today, we, talk, we call them hacks, right? So people are always looking for these, for these um, various kinds of hacks, whether it's uh, hacks for your video game, for those of you who play. Um, we're looking for um, uh, cooking hacks and travel hacks and, and relationship hacks. And the reality is that all of these different shortcuts, all these different hacks can, can save us on time, they can save us on energy, they can save us on money. And so they're great. But there are some things in life, some areas of life, where shortcuts are not good. They're not great. No matter how much they improve efficiency. Uh, in business... You don't want to cut corners when it comes to safety. Uh, you don't want to make up numbers on your financial statement. You, want to, you don't want to skimp on job training. Uh, in the aftermath of the uh, Ocean Gate tragedy, you know that Titan sub that went down to, to, to look at the, uh, the Titanic? One of the uh, criticisms that came up was that the company ignored tested wisdom in order to find a, a faster way of advancing deep sea exploration. Sometimes shortcuts aren't good. And so it is when it comes to integrity. Um, when it comes to integrity, there are no shortcuts. We've been going through this book of Proverbs and we've been talking about walking in wisdom and about, and about persisting on that path even when it feels like we're not getting very far ahead. In other words, there are no shortcuts, there are no spiritual hacks when it comes to um, that long, often slow road of walking blamelessly in the way of wisdom. And in, in this message, what I want to do is we're going to look at four areas in which we're, we might be tempted to, to cut corners. And our text is Proverbs chapter 20 verses 18 to 25. It's on page 931 in the Bibles if you're uh, using those. The text says this. Plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. 
A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. If someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. An inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales. Do not please him. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. What I see in these verses are four instances of impatience. Situations where we're tempted not to take the long road, but to rush ahead. The four temptations are this. Number one, we're tempted to rush ahead to enact plans without counsel. Number two, we want wealth without wisdom. Number three, we seek retribution without justice. And number four, we make promises without reflection. So we're gonna look at these four things this morning. Okay, so number one, we rush to enact plans without good counsel. Making plans in itself is a, you know, it's a good way of avoiding rash decisions. If you can slow down and you make a plan, it helps you to avoid some rash decisions uh, instead of rushing into action. Uh, naturally, we want our plans to succeed. So one danger is that, you know, you do all this planning and what, do you, what happens is you fall in love with your plan, right? You, you put all that effort into it, you put all that thought into it, and you think this is, this is foolproof. This is going to work. And, and we fall in love with our plans. Uh, and, and so Proverbs 20, verse 18, adds another layer to our planning. It says, plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. Yes, it's good to plan, but it's also important to get feedback. Don't just impulsively put your plans into action. Get another viewpoint to sharpen your, your energy or your, your strategy. One, uh, one writer says this, who consistently speaks into your plans? Who consistently speaks into your plans for your, for your walk with Christ, for your marriage, for your family, for your ministry, for your spending, your giving, your scheduling? Where do you receive the crucial advice and uncomfortable counsel sometimes that we all need? The wise plans are, he says, wise plans are proven, sharpened, enhanced in the minds and hearts of others. We, we need the counsel of others. But who are these others that we look to for counsel? And this next verse says uh, that it's important that we get good counsel. Verse 19, a gossip betrays a confidence so avoid anyone who talks too much. That term for gossip could also uh, refer to a slanderer. Uh, it's someone who spreads lies and who spreads malicious words to destroy others. This is someone who is neither, neither um, your good nor God's will at heart. They will not give you wise counsel. Instead, what they will do is they will betray your confidence they will blab and reveal your plans that you share with them. They will hurt you, not help you. Uh, that word confidence is translated plans in other places. 
They will, they will betray what you have to say. But, but what is it about a gossip that makes their advice and their guidance so unhelpful? Why, why a gossip? Why, why this particular uh, individual mentioned here? The second half of the verse says, they talk too much. Well, yeah, they talk too much. So what? So what? Um, the, the idea here is that they're, they're careless with their words. They don't give thought to what they say. And as a result, the counsel they give you um, is not something that's thought through. Uh, it's whatever comes to their mind, perhaps what they think they, that you want to hear, perhaps um, what they think sounds spiritual and, and wise. You know, this person is looking to me for, for some, some advice. Well, you know, and, and they just say whatever comes to their mind, perhaps something that they've heard elsewhere, something that just sounds so very, very, um, so very wise and, and, uh, and good. Or perhaps it's the other way around. They, they just don't like you. They want your plans to fail. And so they just speak what comes to their mind that's overly critical to tear everything down. In a sense, what they speak are hasty words, blurted out without, without substance. Back in verse 18, Solomon talked about going to war. And in, and in such a critical time, uh, needing to slow down and to think through one's plans and to get counsel and advice. You and I, um, we don't on a daily basis face a military war. But we face wars of other kinds. We face emotional wars. We face relational wars. We face financial wars. Um, we face vocational wars. We face spiritual wars. These are complex circumstances where it's wise not to rush. So, so don't, be, don't be tempted to hastily throw together plans as you face the challenges of life. But seek wise counsel. Seek the, the counsel of, of others who will give you good advice so that you'll be blameless and upright in your plans. We can't do this alone. Right? We need each other. Uh, we, we need good wisdom from one another. Don't be tempted to rush to, uh, to enact plans without good counsel. Second area, verse 20 and 21. We rush to gain wealth without learned wisdom. The Apostle Paul said that the first of the Ten Commandments with a promise is this. Uh, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. Proverbs 20, verse uh, 20, is essentially the opposite of that command. If someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. To be snuffed out in pitch darkness is a graphic way of describing death. And we may look at that warning and say, you know, why is there such a strong condemnation associated with cursing one's parents, associated with not honoring 
one's parents. Why such a strong condemnation? Um, let's think back to the Ten Commandments. It's possible to divide the Ten Commandments into two groups, two, two, um, two tables. Right. And so the first group has to do with our love for God, and the second group has, our, has to do with our love for other human beings. And so you have this command to honor your parents. Which group does it go in? The group to love God or the group to love other people? And our natural inclination, our first inclination, our tendency is to say, well, parents are horizontal relationships, right? And so we, we honor our parents. That's part of the, the second group of, of, uh, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, our relationship with our parents is on the horizontal plane, unlike, unlike our vertical relationship with God. But many Bible teachers actually think that honoring our parents belongs in the first group. So here's uh, what one, one uh, Bible teacher says. He says, to speak of honoring one's parents as an expression of love for God rather than neighbor may seem strange. However, because parents are consistently portrayed in the Old Testament as the principal agents of discipleship, hearing and heeding them is fundamental to preserving the mark of Yahweh, to preserve the mark of the Lord in the community. The command to honor one's parents is principally about honoring God. It's principally about honoring God. And that means to curse one's parents is tantamount to cursing God. To not honor him is to, our parents, is, to, is tantamount to not honoring the Lord. It's a failure to respect his word. It's a failure to esteem his wisdom. And I think this next verse, verse 22, is an example of cursing one's parents, of not honoring them. Right? So um, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. If, if that connection between verse 20 and verse 21 is correct, then the son who curses will in turn be cursed. He will not be blessed at the end. And also that gaining of the inheritance uh, too soon is not because the parents died unexpectedly. It's not because the parents chose to give some of the inheritance to the child early. Instead, the son gets his parents' money through some dishonoring action. Maybe he steals from them. Or maybe he, he demands it from them uh, in, in such a way that, uh, it, that it dishonors them, um, uh, like the story of the prodigal son, right? Who, who, the, the son goes to the father, the younger son goes to the father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. And, and in that story, the son's demand was tantamount to saying to his father, I can't wait for you to die. Give me the money now so I can spend it. Um, right? Same. I mean, it, you you can you can you can feel the dagger of that, Dad. Why don't you die now, so I can have my I can have your money. 
And there are many, many reasons why a child might try to get their inheritance too soon. They might be motivated by greed. They might be seduced by the, the allure of money to spend. Or maybe they just hate their parents. All kinds of reasons why that can happen. But as the second half of the verse says, such an inheritance gained too hastily with, with, without the wisdom of those who have walked with God before us, that, that kind of inheritance will not be blessed. Life may go very well for a season. It, you know, with all that money, it may go very, very comfortably for a while. But too often, sudden wealth and easy money is squandered and lost. But more importantly, God's favor is not on us if we're not blameless and upright in how we gain wealth. Um, you know, we, we are quick to listen to any worldly wisdom on how to make money. You know, you, you, something come, comes across your, your social media feed, something comes across the, the the, the, the screen on your, on your computer, something, you hear something on the radio and, and, or on a podcast and, and, uh, and we're quick to pick up on, on that advice on how to gain wealth. What we need is the godly wisdom that those who are older and wiser have learned and tested and pass on to us. We need to walk with them, not to be in a hurry to get rid of them. That's not to say that, that parents or, or elders are always wise, right? Um, sometimes they can, be, they can be foolish. We need to have that discernment to, to, to understand the difference. But we are to honor those who come before us. We are to honor our parents and grow through their input into our lives so that we can gain wealth in a way that honors the Lord. No shortcuts. Thirdly, we rush to seek retribution without divine justice. Ours is a broken world. It is a broken world filled with um, incredible, incredible suffering. James mentioned that movie that's come out that is um, Sound of Freedom, right? About the sex trade. Children being abducted for that. Ours is a broken world where we inflict great pain and much harm on one another. And in our day of social media outrage and cancel culture, both outside and inside the church, it's not hard to stir up angry vendettas against those who, who have wronged and hurt us. Um, one writer observes about social media shaming. He says, what we post, or maybe she says, sorry, says, what we post on social media can take on a life of its own. The matter feels urgent. So we hastily type rebuttals. Veiled as zeal for truth, we run to our computers and phones to adjust error and admonish the person who got it all wrong. Right? We do that. 
we're, we're quick to type in our response. But when it comes to revenge, when it comes to vendetta, when it comes to retribution, Solomon counsels a different path in Proverbs 20, verse 22. He says, do not, pay, do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. Our instinct is to retaliate against those who hurt us, right? It's to seek retribution. And this verse doesn't say that it's wrong um, for vengeance. This verse doesn't say vengeance is wrong. It says vengeance is wrong in our hands. For those who have suffered deeply at the hands of their oppressor or abuser or attacker, the desire for retribution is, is strong, it's, it's deep, and God doesn't um, treat that desire as evil. God doesn't discount that desire and say, your desire for, for retaliation, well, you know what, just get over it. He doesn't make light of it. Instead, what he does is he re redirects that desire to himself. As he says elsewhere in the Bible, God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. We are to wait for the Lord to avenge rather than take matters into our own hands. Um, that's hard. Right, especially when justice seems slow in com coming, and and this is not to say, you know what? There's that um, uh, uh, that uh, uh, government justice is wrong. In fact, you know, government justice is part of how God works out His justice in the in the world. But it's hard for us to wait for for that for for God to to do His uh, to to work out in, in these situations. We we want to cry out like the psalm writer does in Psalm 94. How long? How long? How long? It's hard to wait. And yet that's what God calls us to do. We are to wait patiently, with, with expectant, with confident hope that, that in his time, God's justice will prevail. He will help us in our troubles. And you say, why can we wait on God? Why, why can we place our confidence in, in, in the Lord? And verse 20, 23 says, it's because he is a just God. The reason we can wait is because of this. The Lord detests differing weights and his honest scales do not please him. This is the same truth we saw back in uh, uh, chapter, uh, verse 10 of this chapter. Differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. In other words, this kind of dishonesty is an abomination to God. This is, this is using the strongest language possible to say, um, the Lord does not turn a blind eye to corruption. God does not turn a blind eye to injustice to wickedness. God sees. And, and in, the very, in the strongest possible way, he says to us, 
This is an abomination to me. I will not let this go. In our hands, to not let it go will destroy us. In God's hands, he will bring justice. Back in verse 10, that, that statement about God's justice was a warning. It's a warning to cheaters. It's a warning to the corrupt. It's a warning to the evil, to the wicked. God will hold you accountable. But here in this verse, it's a comfort. It's an assurance, a reassurance. God sees. God will avenge. You can place it in his hands because he is just. Not only do we have this verse as an assurance of God's commitment to justice, but the greater demonstration of God's justice takes place years after this particular verse. And it's seen in the death of Jesus. It's seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. How far will God go for justice? How far will he go for justice? He, he went so far as to not spare his own son. He went so far as to not spare his own son. What does that mean? Um, the Bible says that all of us stand under God's judgment because of sin. We all deserve retribution for what we have done against each other but more importantly, because of what we have done against God. We are all deserving of retribution. And God doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. So how does he save us? How does he deliver us from the judgment that we deserve? In order to save us, Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life undeserving of any retribution. He lived that perfect life and then he went to the cross and he took God's judgment for our sins on himself. And, and we often think of, of you know, the cross as a demonstration of God's love and of God's mercy and it is, right? It is such a wonderful demonstration of God's love, such a wonderful demonstration of his, of his mercy. But, but, God's, but the cross is also this incredible demonstration of God's justice. And so Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, I urge you today, would be 
a great day to do that. The one who is worthy, who died for you. God did not spare his own son for you. This work of Christ on the cross is why waiting on the Lord does not leave us stewing in anger. And there are times as we wait, we just get more and more angry. Is that not right? Something happens and you and and over time it doesn't get better. We get more and more angry. We get more and more frustrated. We get more and more resentful. We get more and more anxious. But waiting on and trusting the Lord changes our heart. It changes our heart. Vengeance in our hands, like I said earlier, it will ruin us. Vengeance in our hands will destroy us. But vengeance in God's hands transforms us. It changes us. Jerry Kennedy offers his insight. He says, according to Paul, what motivates self-control and even peacemaking kindness towards enemies is confidence in God's vengeance. A conviction that because God is just, the wicked will ultimately get the retribution coming to them. In mercy, we endure injustices now because God won't ultimately let evil go unpunished. Through his vengeance, God will achieve better justice than our human anger can. And so Solomon urges us. He says, listen, in this world, you will be hurt. You will be hurt. You can, you can put a cocoon around your heart. You can, you can, you know, tape foam all around, all around your heart and, and, and cocoon it to protect it. But be sure of this. Someone will hurt you. Someone will hurt you deeply. And to be blameless in our desire for justice, we have to wait for the Lord. We have to wait for him. To quote Kennedy again, he says, our hunger for vengeance is God-given, but we can release our grudges in prayer, in appeal to God-ordained authorities for earthly justice, and refuse to retaliate. We can both find comfort and leave vengeance in God's hands because God demonstrated his perfect justice for us in Christ at the cross. We can trust him. And then fourth and finally, we rush to make promises without humble reflection. Proverbs 20, verse 24. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? That first half of the verse tells us that God is sovereign. He is in control. He directs your paths. 
we devise plans, we make decisions, we take action, but ultimately God determines where those plans, where those decisions, where those actions lead. He's in control. Now, if that's the case, then the second half of the verse asks, well then, how can anyone possibly understand where their future path will take them? In 2006, I left the church where I was at, and I had certain plans, and I had no idea they would lead me to where we are now. Um, the contemporary English version translates the verse, how can we know what will happen to us when the Lord alone decides? Life is filled with enigma and mystery. We think we're headed in one direction and we end up in a completely different set of life circumstances. We, uh, we think we know how to tackle a problem and, and do what we think needs to get done to, to fix it and, and then the actual solution comes from a totally different place. Right? You experience that in your life? Well, you, you speak, hey, I've got this all figured out and, and, and no, you don't. It's, it's some completely different angle that comes along. It doesn't mean that we stop planning. It doesn't mean we stop deciding. It doesn't mean that we stop taking action. But it does mean we need to humbly acknowledge that we aren't in charge. We're not the commander of our ship. We take responsibility. We obey. We do what we're supposed to do. And we look to God for guidance, but we don't pretend that we are in charge, that we know how things are going to work out. Instead, we humbly submit to God's sovereignty. There's just this, this great mystery in our walk in this life and our walk with God. Incredible mystery. And one of the ways I think we try to figure out that mystery, because you know what? You and I don't like that uncertainty, right? I, I, we, we don't like that uncertainty. So one of the ways we try to figure this out is um, by making a vow, which is why verse 25 warns us to do that thoughtfully. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. And so to dedicate something means that we set it aside for God. We promise it to him. And often these vows are made in conjunction with prayer. We petition God for some, there's some strong desire in our hearts. There's something we, 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 so, we so desperately want, and so we petition God for it. We don't understand what God is doing in our life, but we want him to act on our behalf. We want him to intervene on our behalf. And so we, and so we come to him with this petition. We come to him with, with prayer, um, and, and then we add a vow for God answering our prayer. If you do this, I will do this. Bruce Waltke says the promise might be made because the petitioner wanted God to know the sincerity of his petition, hoped to move God to act, and recognized that nothing short of a gift would suffice to express 
his appreciation. And so a vow gets added to our petitions because we don't understand what God is going to do, but we want him to act on our behalf. Regardless of the reason for the vow, we are warned to slow down. Doesn't say don't make vows. Remember, Hannah made a vow, right? God, if you if you give me a child, I will dedicate this child to you. Doesn't say don't make vows. It's just slow down. Slow down. Don't rush into it. Don't rashly make promises. God will take your vows seriously, and He will hold you accountable for them. So stop. Think carefully about what you're promising. We should count the cost unless we make a promise we can't keep. Slow down. A while back, Facebook popularized the saying, move fast and break things. And... um, Many entrepreneurs, especially in the tech sector, I'm told, have kind of adopted that notion of speedy innovation even if there's the occasional mistake. When it comes to um, a blameless and upright walk, there are no shortcuts. There are no cutting corners. There is no move fast and break things when it comes to integrity and a blameless life. It's been said that waiting, not hurrying, is one of the hardest things to do in life. And yet, from what we read of Jesus' life, it seems like he was hardly ever in a hurry. My son is dying. Hurry, Jesus. Oh, wait, who's that touched my garment of my robe? Let me stop and just talk about that for a minute. In the Christian life, hurry is often a detriment to spiritual growth. I really like how Marshall Siegel starts his article on our need to slow down. He says, when was the last time you felt your soul walk? When was the last time you felt your soul walk? Our minds and bodies are moving farther and faster than ever today, but the most significant aspects of human life cannot be rushed. He says hearts can be stubbornly slow. Prayer is often slow. Meditation is slow. Growth is slow. Love is slow, sometimes painfully so. From the beginning, Our souls were made to walk with God at his pace. 
And so may God help us to do that, to walk at his pace on that blameless and upright path that he calls us to. When it comes to enacting plans, when it comes to gaining wealth, when it comes to seeking retribution, when it comes to making promises, and, and, and so many other areas of life, may we keep in step with the Spirit, neither lagging behind nor rushing ahead. May we walk blamelessly with Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, sometimes there are things that are urgent. And we need to do them right away. But often, that becomes a way of life where everything becomes urgent. You remind us in your word today that there are some areas of life where urgency will not help us to be blameless. There are areas of our life where we need to slow down, where we need to learn to wait. And we desperately need you to help us to do that. Lord, I confess that my heart is geared faster and faster and faster. Where it counts, God, help us not to cut corners. Where it matters, God, help us not to take shortcuts, but help us to really listen to the working of your spirit through your word and help us to walk with you. And I thank you that that's what you do in the lives of your children. I thank you that you lead your children by your spirit. We are your sheep. You are our shepherd. And we will follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.